day that changed everything. As we open the book of Mark in chapter 16, there's a lot of context here that we haven't been talking about the previous weeks, but suffice it to say, just sort of a little bit to get us to where we are in verse 1, we know that Mark has given an abbreviated overview of the Passion Week of Christ, or some call it the Holy Week. And that begins with what we call Palm Sunday. We talked just a little bit about that last week. Palm Sunday is where we commemorate Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem, riding a donkey. And and he does that in really just the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. It was prophesied hundreds of years before that Jesus would do this, and then Jesus did do that. And when he entered into Jerusalem, it was the last week of his earthly life and ministry. Jesus fully knew that he was going to lay his life down. He understood that he was the sacrifice. He was the lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. And that week he's in Jerusalem. We fast forward to Good Friday, which I talked a little bit about how we celebrated here just a few days ago. But on Good Friday, Jesus was betrayed. He was accused. He was questioned, condemned, tortured, crucified, and finally he was buried. And we also understand the next day, some call it Silent Saturday or Sabbath Saturday. His followers, those that believed in him, those that were gathered around Jesus and all that he was saying and doing, when they saw Jesus uh, crucified and buried, for them it was a defeat. They didn't understand at this point Jesus was going to rise from the dead, even though he told them this was going to happen. And it just, you can understand that they were disillusioned, they were discouraged. They were probably very scared. So it was a very silent Saturday. The Bible doesn't have anything to say hardly at all about Saturday. It's just, it's silent because we understand this. His followers were discouraged. But then Sunday came. We call that Resurrection Sunday. We're here to celebrate that. We're here to read about the account of Jesus rising from the dead. And that's what Mark 16 is all about. I'm gonna read 20 verses. It won't take me very long, but you can follow along on the screen. And here's what the Bible says in verse one. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right were wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. And they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel 
to all creation or all people. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues or languages is what that means. And they will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will see them recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. There are four gospel accounts in the Bible, as you may know, and all of them contain the account of Jesus' resurrection. They all, of course, have different details, and when you put them together, we get the fullest picture of what actually happened that day almost 2,000 years ago. I will not have the time to cover all of those details. And so we're looking at Mark's account, and it's abbreviated, and seldom is it used when people talk about the resurrection of Jesus because of its brevity. And we think that although this maybe isn't the norm, that for us as we're studying the gospel of Mark, I wanted to simply focus on chapter 16. And and I think there's a vital piece of information that we often forget about the gospel of Mark. And for those of us that have been through this study, we might remember what I talked about probably four or five months ago in chapter one of the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark was the first gospel account to be written and distributed. No scholars really debate this. It was probably distributed about 65 AD. And why is that significant? Well, a lot of this A lot of those that received the gospel of Mark were those in Rome, Gentile believers. And this was one year after the great fires of Rome. And if you're a person of history, you understand that in 64 AD, the Roman emperor Nero in some psychotic state, he basically had Rome set on fire. And those fires burned for seven full days and consumed much of the city. Nero conveniently blamed the fires on Christians. So Christians during that time in 64 AD and following the years to come, they were pulled out of their homes, they were executed, uh, they underwent great persecution, they were driven out in caves into nearing cities, they had to stay with other people. Let's just say they lost everything that they had, many did. And so you can imagine that when somebody received, not the whole Bible, but just the gospel of Mark in that time, they were so excited to receive such, such a word to remind them of why they believed what they believed and how to stand strong in the midst of great persecution. And when you read the rest of the Bible and even historical accounts, there's evidence to suggest that they were losing some of their historical foundation. Uh, The truth that Christianity is built on, that Jesus came, died, rose again to the glory of God the Father. Some of these things that were the root system and the very truth of what it is they believed, they were losing some, some of this as persecution continued to increase in their life. And so Mark, with great urgency, wanted to get this gospel out to refresh and to remind and to restore their faith in a God that is so real. He's as real as you and me. And so as this gospel was circulated, you can sort of imagine these old saints as they gathered their families around in these very difficult places, maybe an underground place, maybe in homes that weren't theirs. And and they were foreigners, they were refugees, like some are even today with very difficult things that are happening all over the world. 
They gathered around the text, and I can imagine their families just wanting to know what it said, wanting to read about Jesus' life. And every word they read, every story, every account of Jesus in the book of Mark, it strengthened them. It restored them. It replenished them. It caused them to rise up and say, we're going through this persecution because we believe the truth. We believe in a resurrected man. If you believe in a resurrected man today, you could say amen right now. I won't stop you. We believe this. We'll stake our lives on it, and they did. And I think it's important that we too gather around this sacred text. This is not a philosophy of man. This is not my opinion. This isn't my word. Certainly, I'm going to give comments, but, but we all are accountable to the same words. You have them as well as I do. And we gather around the sacred text, and we read something that happened that is an incredible reality. And, and it's literally changed the lives of every person here today, has it not? Some observations I just want to make from the text, the account of the resurrection, five of them actually, right here. And the first one is, we look at the spices that were fit for a king. Let's read again verse 1 and 2. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. The first verse, you'll notice, it says, when Sabbath was over. When Sabbath was over, the Sabbath was a day of rest from Friday evening to Saturday evening. And it says when Sabbath was over, because Mark doesn't even record anything that happened on the Sabbath. Well, why is that significant? Jesus was crucified on Friday, and he was buried just hours before the Sabbath happened. And they did it very quickly so that, obviously, they all, it was a Jewish custom to, to sab- celebrate the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath. And you could do no work on the Sabbath. There were things they could not do. So it says in the passage that these women bought spices. Well, they bought them right before the Sabbath happened, but they had to hold on to them for 24 hours. And so they did so until they could actually come to the tomb. In Mark 15, it says these same women saw where Jesus was not only crucified, but where they buried him. And they couldn't tend to his body, but they planned to do so. That's what this was all about and why Mark brings it up. But maybe you're confused or not sure about who these three women are. So I'll give a shot at explaining them. The first one is Mary Magdalene. She was the woman that is talked about in Luke chapter 18. It says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. And she followed Jesus faithfully all the way until the end. And then we read about another Mary. She's the mother of James. She was the mom of of Jesus' apostle known as James the Lesser. And then there's another gal named Salome. Salome was the mother of another James and a man named John. These were also direct apostles of Jesus. You might know them as they're affectionately referred to as the sons of thunder. As sort of, I don't know what their mom thought about that. I I always want to write a book, The Sons of Thunder. You know, if you have strong-willed children... I have a few here today. (laughs) These women came to anoint Jesus' body with spices and aromatic oils to reduce the smell of his uh, decomposed body. Uh, This was an uncommon thing to do. In other words, only royalty would have something like this happen. It says Joseph of Arimathea prepared Jesus' body and put his body in a tomb. They had already anointed Jesus' body. 
And so these women bought spices. And, you know, oils are very expensive in ancient times, if you can imagine. Um, This is something you would do for a king. This is not normal. This is not normal care for the body. They probably had to spend most of what they had and hold on to it so that they could care for Jesus in the only way that they knew how. I mean, they literally were following him. Now he's dead, and they're thinking the only thing that we can now do is literally just give what we have to his dead body to make him smell a little better. That's what we can do, and we will do what we can do. And the women came with these spices, and they showed no expectation that he would have risen from the dead. Have you noticed that when you read the text? There was no expectation that Jesus was going to rise, or they wouldn't bring these spices and these oils. They wouldn't have done that to anoint his body, to, to curb the smell. But they had a big problem, and that's my second point, the stone that was in the way. Look at verse 3. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was very or extremely large. Now, in my opinion, it seems obvious that nobody thought this through when they were on their way to the tomb. It says, while they were on their way, they asked a question to each other. This is three women. And listen, I'm all for women being strong, okay? Ugh. I know some of you, you as strong as men. I get it, all right? This is no comment down to you. I'm just saying, me and Pastor Scott couldn't have rolled this stone away. A lot of us strong men, or I'm I'm not saying I'm strong. I'm just not, listen. We wouldn't be able to roll this stone away. So they're on their way and they're thinking, how are we gonna roll this stone away? But they got the spices, they've got the oils. But that's what it's like, isn't it? When When you have been overcome emotionally, have you ever gone through something and you, uh, you've just been impacted so emotionally that you don't, you're not thinking right? You're not thinking about how are we going to solve this problem when we get there. You're just on your way. That, that's what happens when you find yourself in a place that, that they are. And we've got to think about the emotion that gripped their lives. Like they're not thinking straight. They're just thinking compassionately. They're just thinking emotionally. And that's a good thing because their whole lives have been absolutely transformed And they're on their way to the tomb of of Jesus asking this question. And uh, I just wanted to to show you a picture of of the garden tomb. This is a a picture of the garden tomb. If you ever go to Israel, which we plan to hopefully in the the future, we've had to cancel our trip twice now, but we do plan to go uh, depending on how everything happens with COVID or any other viruses that come or, or whatever else happens. But I've been to Israel before, and this is what's called the garden tomb. How many of you have actually been to this tomb before? Yeah, there's a, a number of us. I know what you did. You paid it like five to $7,000 to do that. That's what you did. <laughs> we have less money as a result of it. Just say amen if you're in that camp. It's like a used car or before inflation, a used car. But if you go here, the tour guide, depending on which one you get, might try to convince you that Jesus was actually buried here. There are some people that are so convinced this is Jesus' tomb, you can't talk them out of it. You try to negotiate with them. You're like, well, maybe it's kind of close to where Jesus was buried. Like, no, this is it. Because souvenirs sell better. I don't know. Any, I didn't say that. But, But you can imagine this being the tomb, and here's the mouth, here's the mouth of the tomb, and we understand that this tomb was sealed. 
And the stone that would have covered this was impossible to roll for one person. It, it's, uh, it, it, we can see the next picture. It's, it's not, it doesn't look like this. I mean, we always sanitize the story. So this looks like a really, like, really nicely hewn rock. Like, see, like somebody had to take like months or a year to make it look like this. I doubt they got that far. It was probably more like a square. So it wasn't like we could just sort of nicely roll the stone. I mean, that sort of sounds right in our mind. But in that case, me and Pastor Scott could roll the stone away. But it's not like that. It was probably more square and jagged and rugged. And so the scripture, when you look at the original language, it doesn't just mean the stone rolled away. It means like the stone had to have been dislodged. That's a better word for what we're talking about. So the women are asking the question, how are we going to dislodge the stone that is in front of Jesus's tomb? We learn from John's gospel that the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling body, the Jewish council, they prompted Pontius Pilate to ensure that the tomb was sealed because there was that rumor that we don't believe is a rumor, but there was a rumor to them that Jesus would rise for the, from the dead. So Pilate had it sealed by putting a stone in the mouth of the cave, and then he also had to do something else. That's probably what it looked like. I think that's how they had to do that. No, that's like the Babylon B version of what this had to look like. So go to the next one. It's hard to get like an ancient, uh, this is about, it's, it's not a good picture. The Jews thought there was a rumor that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. So they said to Pontius Pilate, you need to make sure that that rumor doesn't come to pass. And so Pontius Pilate had to station guards there. And then they put a Roman seal on the front of this stone that was in the mouth of of the tomb. And what that meant was, there's two ways this could have been. It meant that there was a rope that went all the way across the rock from the mouth of the cave on both sides, and it went right across, and they would take this, this clay that was impressionable at first, and it was a huge piece of clay, and they would imprint this on the front of the stone, and they would put the Roman imperial seal on it. Or they would actually do this at the side of the rock and the mouth of the cave. They would have two pieces of clay and they would have a rope in between it. And if anybody broke the seal, they would incur the wrath of Rome. That was a certain death sentence. So you have this stone in front, you have the Roman seal, and you've got Roman guards. And the women are on the way to the tomb. They do not know that it's sealed. They do not know what they're about to see. And now they're asking the question, how are we going to get this stone out of the way so we can anoint the body of Jesus? But this is how they were feeling because of the flood of emotion. But look what the text says. It says that as they got there, they noticed that the stone had been rolled away. What were they thinking when that happened? I'll tell you what they were thinking. They were not thinking that Jesus rose from the dead, not at all. They were actually thinking, where is Jesus' body? So when they went into the tomb, this is exactly what was going on in their mind. So the emotion that they were already feeling went up to like DEFCON 5. Now they're really experiencing something, a certain anxiety as it were. But they met a stranger with an incredible message. Look at verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. Now, does anybody else find this odd? They didn't, it doesn't, they didn't know it was an angel. This is a young man wearing a white robe. I, would, I don't know. It would trip me out. And they were amazed. And they said to them, do not be amazed. Stop right there. That's just very strange. Why would the angel say, don't be amazed? You'd think they should be amazed. But this is not the right word. This is not a good word here. The, the proper word would be they were distressed. 
They were full of anxiety. They were overcome with an anxiety. They were distressed. And so the angel says back to them, do not be distressed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, for he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now you need to know this, that there were a lot of historical accounts dealing with what happened to the body of Jesus. There were all kinds of rumors during that time. One of them was the body of Jesus was stolen. Various groups are charged with the theft of Jesus's body, but lo and behold, his body never turned up. So none of those charges came true. Well, the second rumor that had Uh, that was sort of a conspiracy at that time was that the women went to the wrong tomb. Yeah, that's right. They just didn't know which one to go to. But Mark chapter 15 tells us that the women saw where they laid Jesus's body and in what tomb. So it wasn't like there were tombs sort of like our storage lockers. If you go to the local storage unit, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, which one is it? I don't know. I'm not sure which one Jesus is in. That's not really what they, what it was like back then. It says specifically in Mark's gospel that they knew where they laid the body of Jesus and they saw it. So they waited 24 hours. They probably didn't sleep so that they could get to where Jesus was. So that's really a ridiculous notion. But there's really no difference than some of the messages that we have today. There are many messages today in our culture that are trying to subvert the gospel of Jesus And they float around all kinds of historical things to sort of create these inaccuracies. Uh, But the reality is, is that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's exactly what they're about to experience. And God saw fit to send an angel to be the first one to proclaim that Jesus' body was not there, but he had actually risen from the dead. And if you're a student of Scripture, you notice that angels are always around to proclaim something magnificent, aren't they? The angel of the Lord was there to proclaim Jesus was going to be born. The angels were singing when Jesus was born, and there were those in the field, the shepherds, that were able to not only hear the singing, but they saw. They saw the angels. The angels are always there to to sort of proclaim some type of thing that God has done. And here we have an angel that appears as a young man wearing a white robe, and he is proclaiming the risen Lord. The women entered the tomb deeply distressed, and his message to them was, do not be distressed. Can I tell you that we can pull a principle out of that today? And I'll do so without minimizing anybody's pain or difficulty in the room. I I realize anxiety, fear, all of this is very real for some of us more than others, depending upon your background or trauma that you've experienced. I don't minimize your pain or your difficulty at all. I don't pretend to understand it. But can I tell you that no matter what is true for you or true for me and what we've gone through and what we've experienced, that there is a transcendent truth that is greater. That is, it's Jesus risen from the dead that actually can silence and satisfy the anxieties and the fears that we go through. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I've got all kinds of anxiety and fear and pain. I've, I've got all of these things that I'm going through or I'm feeling. But the proclamation that Jesus has risen from the dead, that alone can change absolutely everything about who we are and how we feel. There are truths that are just higher than the reality of our pain and our experiences. It does not mean those things have not happened. It just means something greater has happened. And so when we gather around the resurrection of Christ, what we are saying is that what Jesus has done is greater than what anybody else has done. 
What Jesus has done for us is greater than what anybody else has done against us. It's also greater than any sin from us. What Jesus has done, it just trumps it all. And the angel says, do not be distressed. Don't be full of anxiety. He has risen. And I bet you they went from being distressed to being excited. They went from being depressed and saddened to like, Jesus is actually alive. Oh, now I remember. He told us this. Did you know Jesus on three occasions looked people in the face and said, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And here's what I want you to do when it happens. And they didn't live like it. I mean, when Jesus died, it was all over for them. But now all of a sudden, after the angel proclaims the risen Lord, these things begin to come back. And notice what the angel says. He says, hey, go tell the disciples and go tell Peter. Go tell the disciples and go tell Peter. Peter's the one that denied Jesus. Peter's probably suffering from some very, very serious depression because his his last interaction around the person of Jesus is I betrayed him, I walked away from him, I, I don't even know the man. That's what he said, I don't even know the man. I don't even know him. I don't want to be associated with him. And the angel says, go tell Peter. Go tell Peter that it's not over. Go tell Peter that, that what that was is not the end. Go tell Peter that failure is not the final say. Jesus is risen from the dead. Go tell him. And so the women, that's exactly what they do. And the angel says, hey, Jesus is going to go meet you in Galilee. Remember, that's what he told you. Well, in Mark 14, 28, Jesus said this. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, after I have been raised, I will go ahead, uh, go ahead of you into Galilee. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, but well, they're sitting there and they're eating dinner. And Jesus just, hey, after I rise from the dead, guys, I'm going to go to Galilee and I'll meet you there. And they're just sort of, all right. But then when he died, they just, it was over. And so the angel had to remind, aren't you grateful for reminders? You can't even remember Jesus said this was going to happen. Oh, we're the same. We're no different than these guys. We need reminders. Amen. That's why we got a whole book. Sometimes people say, Ben, there's there's more to read than the Bible. I know, but I haven't gotten that far yet. I mean, geez, this is a big book. You know, I'm trying to memorize it. I need to be... I need to be reminded. My, one of my sons growing up, I, we, we would read the Bible every day and teach them to do that. And he was like, I already read the Bible. And I said, you need, and clearly you need to keep reading it. <laughs> the way you're talking to me. <laughs> All right. I was about to say something and I <laughs> should be proud of me. You're, you're, if you're a guest, we're not sorry. It's <laughs> kind of what we are, and uh, I'll be here next week too, sorry. (laughs) We see here that as the women were told by the angel that Jesus had risen, I'm calling this the shock of his resurrection. Look at verse 8. They went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They fled from the tomb. Uh, this is sort of like they, they stumbled out of the tomb. They, they, they were frantic. They, the word fled, it's not a word I use. I don't flee from anything. I run. That's what it means. They ran from the tomb. They ran. I mean, they booked it. It's sort of like the language, it reminds me of like when you get up early in the morning and you are late. 
You ever get up early in the morning and you're late for something and you just like, boom, you get out of bed and you're bumping into your dress. I don't know if women do this, but men do this for sure. I don't mean to be sexy. Just bam, you just sort of nailing into everything and you just got to get where you're going. And you think if you just rush and beat yourself up, you're going to get there on time. No, friend, you're late. (laughs) Just accept your reality. It says they fled from the tomb. They were frantic. And the language here says trembling and astonishment had gripped them. Don't you love the word gripped? They gripped them. And this term means that they were shaken to the core. They were caught up in this sort of ecstatic, holy reverence. They were gripped by the reality of Jesus being raised from the dead. They fled. They they were frantically going and, and they were overcome by this emotion it's sort of like a language that you can't articulate how you feel. You ever had something happen to you in your life where it was so profound, it was so great, it was so amazing that you just could not explain it with human words? And you try to, right? You try to, you try to explain the, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to you. And, and you're just like, I'm just good. Something great happened. And people around you are like, are you Okay. You're, no, I'm more than okay. Is that bad or good? Nobody knows, you know, because you're just so overwhelmed. You, 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 you can't, the words don't even come out of your mouth. That's what they were feeling. And, and it even says right here, it says that they, did, they didn't tell anyone for they were, they were afraid. The first few moments of them carrying this message, this sacred truth, they didn't say anything to anyone. They were shaken to the core and words failed them. I was thinking about for me, one of the times where this was true for me, obviously it's a bit different, of course, but when I came to Christ, I've told our church my story. I, I won't go into to all of that, but I was thinking back to what it was like for me in the, the beginning week. I wanted to think about that. And I was going to Shoreline Community College at, when I was 19 years old up in North Seattle. And I think at this time I was in a computer programming. This was back in the day. Some of you, were, if you're 40, you'll remember this. This is back in the day where everybody wanted to work for Microsoft. <laughs> it's like, you know, Bill Gates was like all, in a, he was, now he's like more in the negative, but I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, but like then it was like Bill Gates and Microsoft and and. And every college had like computer programming and business computers. And so some guy convinced me to go to Shoreline Community College and, and go through this one program. And so I'm, I'm in there. I'm a couple classes in doing this thing. And um, on Tuesday, I thought Christianity was fiction. On Tuesday, I thought I was in the class and I thought my life is just about trying to make as, as much money as I possibly can to have the best life that I possibly can. I want to I wanna work the, uh, uh, as little as possible and make as much money as possible. I mean, that's like my 19-year-old brain for you right there. I want to make a lot of money and work a little bit. I want to work for Bill. And so... And that was the thing. I mean, that was, that, that was the thing for people like me anyways. And so I'm in the class on Tuesday and, and, and I don't like Christians. I think Christians are hypocrites, you know? And I was a hypocrite too, but I didn't want to judge myself because it's easier to judge others. But Christians are hypocrites. The church is fake. The story is fiction. Tuesday, that's what I believe. But then Wednesday, Wednesday, I had had a number of people for the last couple of months talk to me about Jesus I've shared with you before. I mean, it just felt like everywhere I went, people would talk to me about the Lord. And I was so annoyed by Christian people. I was like, just stop. I, this lady, had, I was in Kingsgate and just getting a piece of gum at Safeway. 
And she's just like talking to me about Jesus and church. I'm like, ma'am, I'm just trying to get a pack of gum. You know what I'm saying? Can I just get a pack of gum? You keep your religion to yourself? Not interested, just not. And, uh, but it was like God was planting seeds and he was after me, he was chasing after me. I just didn't, I just didn't yield. And I'm thinking back to times where I was a kid and uh, when I was in my early teens, I would go to church, but I would sit in the back. No offense, to, no, I love you. No, no offense at all. Like if I was going to church, right, if I was a pastor, I'd be sitting there. I'd be, I'd be there. Just hear, hear me. Don't get offended. It's so easy to get offended. Don't get offended. But I would go to church and I'd sit in the back. And when I was young and I'd sit down during worship because I was trying to prove a point. It's like, I'm not yielding to this because this, this is fake. And I'm just letting you know, I'm not going to, now some of you can't stand. Don't get, just, don't, just follow me where I was. This is me. This is me. It's like, Pastor Scott, everything's going to offend somebody. All right. So, but, but I was just, I was this young man and I'm like, this preacher's fake and these people are fake and you just, you know, they're just trying to get your money and all that stuff, you know, and maybe there's truth to that in some places or whatever, but I just was, I, my heart wasn't yielded, you know? And so I was just trying to prove a point and I wasn't proving anything to anybody. The fact is, is my heart was just not yielded to Jesus at all. But the other truth was that God was chasing after me. And so Wednesday comes, and um, I've had all this in my, my background, and, uh, and I just was built up with all this depression, difficulty, distressed, anxiety, all this stuff, all this stuff had happened to me. I've shared it before. But I went into my bedroom, and I sat down on the floor, and I was overwhelmed with a conviction. And I prayed, and I didn't know how to pray. Friend, I didn't know how to pray at all. I didn't even know what that meant. And I prayed this prayer out, out of my mouth with my words. I said, God, if you're real, I need you to show me. And I'll give you my life if you show me that. If you do that, I'll, show, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I had the presence of God. I, I didn't know what it meant. I couldn't articulate it. But I had the presence of God touch me. I mean, just overwhelm me. And I heard the voice of God, and he said to me, I love you, and I always have. And in my mind, it was like a Rolodex of pictures, like on your iPhone, if you just go through these pictures on your iPhone. It was like the pictures in my mind were every, just all of these various places that I had been in my life that were the hardest things for me to endure. And God spoke over all of the difficult things in my life. And he said, I love you and I always have. I was with you. Even though you weren't with me, I was always with you. See, Jesus is the one that promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Peter tried to say the same thing to Jesus, didn't he? Peter said, oh, I'll never deny you. You know, I'll, I'll be everywhere that you are. I'm always gonna follow you. And he didn't last one day. Jesus is the only one that fulfilled his promise. And I heard the voice of God and Thursday came. Thursday, I go back to Shoreline Community College. I woke up in the morning, the grass was green, the sky was blue, and I'd never seen it before. I mean, I was like, I was dead, and now I'm alive, and now I believe in a resurrected man. And now i got to figure out a way how to explain this to people. And I had a mass deliverance. I was drug addicted. I was full of all kinds of immorality. And the next day, my appetites had changed. Like, I don't want to go back to that stuff anymore, and I never have. None of it. I've never gone back to any of it. Now, I'm not, I still got a ways to go. We got to grow in love and faith and all, but I never went back to any of it. That was 23 years ago, you understand? And, and some of you have this testimony. And I remember going to my class and I still had cigarettes. I want you, I'm sorry, it's Easter Sunday, I'm sorry. I smoked Newports, okay? It was a menthol, okay? I was hardcore. 
And I remember going into the class and I thought, I went out, I went out to, I was saved and I, I mean, I was changed, but I went out to go smoke a cigarette and I look at all these people and they're talking about everything but what's happened on the inside of me. And I took my pack of cigarettes and I crushed them right there. I just crushed them and I, and I, and I, never, I never did anything like that again. And then I started talking to people about Jesus, but it was so terrible. It was so bad. It was like, God, good, devil, bad. Do you want to know God? You know, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's just like, I love God. You know, it's sort of like the quintessential, like, hey, if you, if you, you're just stumbling over your words, if you follow God, you could be just like me. And they're looking at me like, I don't want to be anything like you. I mean, I understand you. That's how it felt. That's how it felt. I was working with a gal at, at a fireplace manufacturing company. I was in the accounting department, and I was telling her about Jesus. This is so, way back then in those days. And uh, she, she uh, you know, I've always, uh, I'm restrained. I'm good. But I was trying to tell her about Jesus, and it was so terrible. My testimony, I, was, I couldn't even articulate it very well. And, uh, and she turns around. She, she, she had her chair in her desk, and I had my chair in my desk, and she just goes, she turns around and she goes, Ben, you know what your problem is? Is you have an addictive personality. And now you're just addicted to religion. And I thought, no, God good, devil bad, you know. <laughs> That's not true. What you're saying is wrong. And Lord, help her wherever she is today. I don't, I mean that. I, mean, I genuinely mean that. But you know what it was? It was the shock of his resurrection. I was astonished. I was astonished. And uh, there are very few things that make me emotional, but this one is one of them because, friends, I had a day that changed everything. Now, that day is, is for us, all of us, is 2,000 years ago where Jesus was resurrected. But I was resurrected because of this truth. You have been resurrected if you believe upon Jesus because of this truth. We've been raised from the dead. There are a lot of people that are living, but they're not, they're not really, they're alive, but they're not living. Because you have to have something happen on the inside of you that only God can do. And we've got to be gripped by the reality of his resurrection. And only then will it actually change your life. Religion's not enough to change our lives. Even our devotion to religious principles and practices is not enough to change your life. Our own righteousness, getting up tomorrow and trying harder, it's not enough. You're not good enough and neither am I. It's not enough. Jesus had to live a sinless life. Jesus had to die in our place. Jesus had to rise from the dead, proving that everything he said was true. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul said, all of our faith is in vain. Everything that we're doing right here and right now, we should just close up shop and leave if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then God calls us to live like it. He calls us to sing like it. He calls us to pray like it. He calls us to share like it. If he rose, if he rose, friend, then let's live like it. Let's believe God for greater things and not spend our life on lesser things. There is a greater truth. There is a higher truth that changes everything. Don't settle for religion. Don't settle for a little bit of religion or religious principles or a little bit of morality. There is something more than that. And it's so much greater. It's so much greater. It's why we gather around the Christ and we are gripped by the profound reality of his resurrection. It is without words. And don't you pray today that God restores that back to us? 
I do. I pray that if you've lost it, that Jesus would give it back. That if you've lost the reality of his resurrection and his life given for you, and you find yourself in a place where you're not living the way that you want to or you ought to, that that you don't just try harder tomorrow or you feel a little bit bad about where you're at. That's not the point. The point is to give ourselves more in surrender to Jesus. That's it. He's not looking for a better performance. He's looking for a better relationship. And it's in that relationship we find that we get what he gives so that we can live the life that he calls us to. That's how it works. That's how it works. Well, the last part of this chapter in verse 9 through 20, it talks about the spread of the glorious gospel. Now, I must admit to you, though, verse 9 through 20 is not in all of your Bibles. It's not in all of your Bibles. Actually, the gospel of Mark, most scholars believe that it ends with verse 8. And it's what my son would call a cliffhanger. And, and Mark meant it to be that way. He meant it to stop right there. That they went out, they fumbled, they stumbled out of the tomb, just frantic, astonished, they were gripped, and that's it. Did, 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 boom, done. Gospel's over. You got to go to book Acts now. Mark meant it to be like that, but we believe that, that maybe it is that scribes could have added some of this, the 9 through 20. And I appreciate the honesty of the Bible and the translators to actually include that. In my Bible, it's in the margin. It says that these verses, 9 through 20, are not in most of the oldest manuscripts. The, the book, this book is so incredible. More copies of manuscripts have been found for the Bible than any book of antiquity. Now, you're not going to learn that in every college, and you will not learn that in most schools unless they're a Christian school. But this book is amazing, and the more I study it, the more I study around it, where it comes from and what it is, the more I believe in it and the words therein. And I even appreciate the honesty that, that we would be able to find that these verses may not be in there. But what these verses do share with us is what we find in Matthew's account as well. And in Matthew's account, it doesn't only say preach the gospel to all creation, all people, but it says go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That was the commission for these disciples that were now hearing and seeing the risen Lord. Hey, I want you to know what, what you should do now that this is true. We passed Silent Saturday on the Sabbath and now we're into Resurrection Sunday and you're so excited, I've risen from the dead, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this truth and I want you to share it with everybody that you can. I want you to have such joy that it's uncontainable, that nobody can stop you from sharing the truth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's what this should do. If you and I were in that tomb, we would come out of that tomb and we, wanna, we would wanna tell everybody. Is that not true? Would you not want to just tell everybody that you possibly could, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. Everything that he said is true. This is what the resurrection means. It means that Jesus is a savior. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son of the living God. The resurrection means that everything Jesus said is true and we can trust his other words. We can trust these words. There are a lot of words in the world today that you cannot trust. A lot of philosophies of man, a lot of ideologies, and they continue to change. They continue to change, but this word is, is true and we wanna devote ourselves to understanding it. We wanna know what it says so that we can live it and we know that it's true. The resurrection means that we can be forgiven if we put our faith in Christ. That we all have sin. We have a debt that we cannot pay, but Jesus paid it for us. The resurrection means that we can have hope today no matter what we face. What are you facing today? What difficulties do you have? What things are in your heart or in your hands? What are you up against? 
What has just happened to you recently? Did you know there's a greater truth and it doesn't minimize your pain? In fact, it contextualizes your pain. The truth of Christ puts our pain into full view, that we can give it to him, and he's a great healer. Isn't he a great healer? Friend, I want you to know today that if your heart's hurting, Jesus can heal your heart. And if you don't believe that right now, I I am encouraging you to put all of your faith into that truth. This is what we know. People all over the world medicate their pain with so many other things. Have you done? I've done that. I've medicated my pain. But when you put your pain into the hands of Jesus, that's where it gets healed. There's hope for today. There's hope for tomorrow. The resurrection means that we can have eternal life. As Jesus rose, so shall we rise. That was not a good amen. As Jesus rose, so shall we rise. Come on, that's a good place to... I know you're deeply considerate. I was in the prayer room earlier when we were praying. We were praying for you. I hope you know that we do that. And maybe you pray for me and us, and we're a family, and we were in the prayer room, and um, I don't remember who said it, but somebody looked over at another person. I was standing right there, and they said, hey, the rocks aren't going to cry out today. And if you know the Bible, you know that it talks about even the rocks will cry out if people won't. And so we're not going to let the rocks have a chance because we're going to cry out to God so much and with so much joy that it's uncontainable. I just love them saying that. You know, the resurrection means that we have purpose to know him and to make him known. And, and the resurrection also means that there's hope for everyone, that nobody is a lost cause because Jesus came for the lost. Isn't that right? There are millions of people, millions upon millions of people that died having given their lives to Jesus, believing this, that because he rose, they're going to rise again. Their faith was not in vain. There are people all over the world today suffering, going through persecution that I don't understand, just to admit it. What I've experienced is very light in comparison to what other people face. But they're going through great persecution, and what they're holding on to is not superficial. It's substantive. When they hold on to it, you can't shake what they have. They've laid hold of something that even if you take my life, you can't take my faith. That even if you take my body, you cannot take my soul. I've already given myself over. You cannot kill a person that has already given themselves over to death in this world. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, you must first deny yourself, take up your cross, which was death to self. Death to self. The point was give your life to me. Give your life for me. I am life, Jesus is saying. I am the resurrection and the life. Even though you die, so shall you live. This is what life is about. It's about knowing and walking with and staying in step with Jesus. I was praying over our services earlier, as I told you, and I, was, I know that <clears throat> on Easter weekend and Christmas, you know, maybe you came or you're watching, of course, you came with a family member or a friend, and I'm, glad, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I grew up and I hated people that, not people, but I hated when people tried to strong arm me into believing in Jesus. I hated it. Coerce me, manipulate me, force me. I, I hated that. I, I have a compassion for that. I, I, it's sort of like a bait switch, you know? And uh, it's sort of why, for us, Easter is just a little bit more. I mean, we got flowers. I like flowers. Isn't that nice? We put a little bit there, but we're not drumming anything up. We're not fabricating ourselves. This is us. 
We're just a family of people who believe in Christ. It's no hype. This is just, if Jesus' resurrection is not enough, then nothing will be. We're a, we're a family of people that are flawed. We have disagreements. We, we're trying to figure that out. We're trying to walk together. But what we don't disagree on is Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen from the dead. We believe in that together. And so as you come today, if you're a guest, the question that I have is, is do you know Jesus Christ? And are you sure? Are you forgiven of your sins? That's what he died for. Do you believe that he rose again? Because if you do, you will rise as well. Do you have a relationship with them? Do you know you're going to be with them forever? Is this secure? I'm not asking for an I don't know. Do you know? Do you know? And if you don't know, you can know. I resisted half of my life. And finally, when I surrendered to his glorious gospel, everything changed and there's no going back. I don't want to go back. I just want to follow Jesus with all my heart. And I know that so many of us in the room, most of us in the room, if not all of us, that's exactly where we're at today. We believe in Christ. And we want to live a life worthy and keeping with what he paid for. May the Lamb of God receive the reward of his sufferings in my life and in yours. That everything I say and do is to glorify him. And I fall short, so do you. But we want to continue to walk in a way that glorifies Christ and not self. But if you don't know Jesus, today's a day, friend. The Bible says it very clearly. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And we prayed for you to be here. I've met people almost every week where they've come here somehow. I prayed with a young man a few weeks ago, and he found us on Big Brother Google. You know, you know that guy. Found myself thanking God for Google for the first time in my life, you know. <laughs> he looked us up. He found our church. He ended up here. And I spent about 20 minutes explaining the gospel. And um, at the end of it, I asked him this question. I said, is there something inside you telling you that what I'm saying is true? And he said, yes. And I said, well, today, do you want to give your whole life to Jesus Christ? And he said, absolutely. And I thought, well, let's get this done, you know, and I prayed with him. And, and uh, yeah, you can clap for that. Come on now. I like that. All right. I saw that. I prayed with him, uh, gave him a Bible, and he kind of fumbled through the prayer, and it wasn't a, it's not about your, how eloquent you are. He did, you know, you could, he couldn't get through, it's like he couldn't get through it. He was astonished, he was amazed, he, he, was, he was gripped by a truth that was greater than what he had known. I meet people all the time, I've had the privilege of praying with hundreds, if not more, people to receive Christ. It's no game to them. God brought them for such, a, for such a thing. It's salvation. It's to be secure and that what we're talking about and gathered around today is actually true. And I have such a compassion though, and I bet you do for people that resist God, that they, they have this resistance because that's who I was. And I just want to encourage you today that if you came and you're resistant to Jesus, we, we're not here to force you, but after the service, we'll, our pastors and prayer partners will be up front. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to answer questions if we can. We don't have all the answers, but we have some. We have enough answers to connect you to Christ. I was uh, reminded, though, of this preacher I heard one time. Because sometimes when we're resistant, we think, you know, this doesn't make sense to me. This message, Jesus came, died, rose again. This doesn't make sense to me. That's what I said. It doesn't make sense to me. This is like, if, if, if God could come up with a plan, it should be better than this. What about all the evil in the world? What about all the stuff that's going wrong in the world? Like, why? What about all this? And it's like, yeah, I mean, look, maybe you have a better way. 
Maybe you have a better way. Maybe I thought I had a better way. But I heard this preacher one time said, he said, this is God's universe. And he chooses to do things his way. And you might have a better way. You just don't have a universe. (laughs) So it's about time to submit to his way. It's about time to surrender to his way. And this is his way. Jesus came for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment, just out of respect? If you're here today and and you're saying, Ben, I came, I don't know if I planned on it or not to, to be here or to respond to anything, but I hear what you're saying and something in my heart is telling me that this message of Jesus Christ coming into our world, giving his life on the cross, dying in my place for the forgiveness of my sin to restore me to right relationship with God. And he rose from the dead. I get that, man. I hear that. There's passion in this room. I I want that. Man, I I want to have a relationship with God. I want to secure that today. If you're here today and you want to make that happen, you want to profess faith in Christ, you want to change your life and give your heart to Jesus, I just want you to first acknowledge, nobody's looking at you except for me, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's what I want to do today. I want to give my heart to Jesus Today's a day for me to do that. If you're in the chapel, you can do the same thing. Or if you're online, please do that somehow by typing something. But if you're here and that's what you want to do, I just want you to acknowledge that by raising your hand today. Just do that. That's all I'm going to have you do right now. Thank you, Lord. Just five seconds. Just If that's you, raise your hand. Say, Jesus, I want to do that today. Amen. If that's something that you're doing at the end of the service, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. Me and some of our pastors will be here. We want to pray with you. We want the raising of your hand to start, but it doesn't stop there. We've got to pray together. It's the prayer of salvation, so come forward. The rest of us, would you stand? I say this to you today. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he shall live forever. You shall live forever. Can I pray for you today that we have the joy of the Lord as our strength? Can I pray today that God restores to us the joy of our salvation? And that if you need freedom of any kind, I can't give that to you, but Jesus can. Maybe you need freedom from your anxiety, from your fear, from your difficulty. Maybe you need to be released of some pain of this past season. Maybe you need Jesus to minister to you. He can do that. But would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands out before the Lord? There's two reasons why we do this. And, and, and just yield to it. I know some of you are like, I'm not going to. Don't, don't do what the 19-year-old Ben did. Just come on. Everybody's looking at you now. All right. Sometimes we do this as an act of surrender. We tell in the Lord, I surrender to you. But today I'm doing it because I want to receive something from him today. That I need that you need. That we need joy to touch our hearts. We need joy to touch this house. There's a lot to be down about, but don't you need joy? The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is your strength. I'm gonna pray for that. And if you want that, I believe God can give that to you. Restore to us the joy of our salvation, that we would sing like it, that we would pray like it, that we would believe like it, that we would live like it. Father, I pray for everybody here and online. I ask you in the name of Jesus right now that everybody that's under the sound of my voice, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Father, we surrender to you, but we also receive from you what we need to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would baptize us with the Holy Spirit today. 
I pray that you would fill us with your power so that we can live a victorious life, a life that glorifies you, where we read scripture and we say, I can do that, not by my strength, but by his. Where we read the Bible and we come under conviction and not condemnation. Where we read your promises and and we pray them and we ask you to remind us of them instead of resist them. Lord, I pray for joy in this house. It's been a long two years of lament. It's been difficult and it's been painful for so many of us for so many reasons. But Father, I pray that a spirit of rejoicing would touch Northwest Church and it would touch every household represented here today. I pray you would plant seeds in our hearts, Lord, that would just get at the core of who we are and displace those things that maybe we've allowed. Maybe there are things we've allowed in the last couple of years to come into our heart and to sow words and ways that we just do not want. And God, I pray that your joy and your, your power, your words would displace those things today. So we thank you. We thank you that you rose. We thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you that you opened our eyes to see that this is true. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.